Good morning. You may think that's a young one, not wanting to go to class, but it's just another adult who doesn't want to hear me preach. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 1 this morning. We are doing a, a sermon series entitled, No Longer Slaves. It's a sermon series that is based on Deuteronomy and the idea that the Israelites were being given uh, rules and a way of living uh, that was so much different than the way that they lived when they were slaves. This sermon series is about freedom. It's about living in freedom. Let's begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, look at this passage. Father God, I am grateful to be here, grateful for my friends who have uh, gathered together to celebrate and honor how great you are. And it's in your greatness, it's in your power, that we ask that you'll speak to us through your spirit and through your word. Pray that you'll guide and lead this time. We give it to you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy, and specifically the first few chapters, is written from Moses' perspective, kind of recapping the history of Israel. At the time that our passage in Israel, all these events had already happened. Moses had already sent spies into Canaan. They'd come back with good news and some with bad news. The good news was that the land was beautiful. The fruit and the vegetation was just enormous. The bad news was the people were strong, they were big, and they knew how to fight. Their cities were well fortified. And yet, despite the good news and bad news, the, God commanded the Israelites to go into the land and take that land from the Canaanites. And this is what we read this morning was their response. Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 26. God says, you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are huge with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God is going before you. He will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your very own eyes, as he did in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way to the place until you reached this place. In spite of all this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and cloud by day to search out places for you to camp to show you the way that you should go. So God has laid this foundation for them with the command that it doesn't matter how big they are, doesn't matter how tall their walls are, 
God tells the people of Israel, I will fight for you. He reminds them of how he fought for them in the past. And their response? Rebellion. Oh, that's a strong word, is it? Rebellion. They were unwilling to go up to Canaan. They did not trust God. And their consequence for the rebellion meant that they would never see the land promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who refused to enter Canaan and grumbled in their tents would wander the desert until every single one of them died. A new generation would go up and inherit this beautiful blessing. Think about the blessing they missed. This generation didn't get to see the walls of Jericho collapse before their very own eyes with the sound of a trumpet. They didn't get to see the conquering of Ai. They never got to experience the sun standing still. God would, in, in powerful ways, he worked, and he got that second generation of Israelites into Canaan with, quite honestly, no problems at all. Why would they rebel? I believe the text gives us a few reasons why they rebelled, and I hope that we can be mindful of these reasons, hopefully keep us from rebellion. I think first, if you look at verse 27, it seems as though they completely misunderstood their circumstances, right? They completely misunderstood their circumstances. They said, the Lord hates us. He, he has taken us out of Egypt and now put us into this horrible situation where we're probably all going to die. He's delivered us into the hands of the Amorites? This couldn't be further from the truth, friends. In fact, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, he called the people of Israel, he called the Hebrews, my people. He said, these are my people. He heard their cry. He heard their misery. He was concerned for them. God loved the Hebrew people, freed them from slavery. And somehow, the Israelites interpreted their situation as hate and certain death. They looked at the size of the people, determined there was no way to win that battle and that they would die. And therefore, there's no other solution except that God hates them. In the last church uh, where I served, there was this little old lady that I absolutely adored. She had this little pug, and she would put talcum powder on that pug. It smelled so bad. She was a wonderful lady. Cleo was her name. She lived alone in a trailer park, and so I would try to visit her at least every week. And one morning she called and asked if I could move her TV from the living room to her uh, bedroom so she could see it better 
uh, in the evenings? I said yes, and that I would be by that afternoon. Well, I never made it to her house. In fact, I had to go to the emergency room to see her. She had tried to move the TV by herself and broke her arm. While visiting with her, I remember her words. I don't know why God is putting me through this. Poor Cleo. She misunderstood her circumstance. And don't we do that sometimes also? When we face a trial, do we ask, why is God doing this to me? When we face a tribulation that may be hard to overcome, do we, do we say, God has put me here to die? Moses is telling the people of Israel to remember, remember that God was with them. The God who would drop the walls of Jericho, who would make the, the sun stand still, He was calling to them to trust him. When Israel was going through their most difficult trial, centuries beyond this, God reminded them in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Don't rebel against God because you misunderstand your circumstances. God loves you very much. I think another reason, if you look at the text, verse 29 specifically, says that the Israelites feared. They were taken back by fear. And, and, and God says to them, don't be terrified. Why do they fear? I, I think the answer here is complex. I think the, the, the simple answer is they feared the size of the people and the fortifications of their cities, right? The, the people were huge. I, I don't know what the Anakites looked like, but evidently they were a pretty big people that scared the Israelites, right? They also feared their own personal abilities. Remember, these were former slaves, who excelled at making bricks, not wartime strategies, right? I think they also feared change, don't we all? They've just been given this whole set of rules by Moses, a new way of life. And sometimes it's just easier to sit in the past. As humans, we tend to gravitate towards the status quo. Change, it triggers our Natural fight-or-flight instincts, right, our response to change. And their fear paralyzed them. So much so that they wanted to go back to Egypt, the place where they were in bondage. Eight-hour days are hard. Ten-hour days are hard. But 14-hour days where you're never even paid. You're barely given any food to survive. And they're probably going to kill your firstborn son. But at least they were alive, they thought. 
Have you ever heard someone say the phrase, do not be afraid, is written in the Bible 365 times? Anybody ever heard that? It's not true. But it's a great phrase, it's a great thought. A quick Bible gateway search will show you the word fear is only actually found 336 times in the Bible. The phrase, do not be afraid, is actually found 70 times in the Bible. And I'm sorry if I ruined a really fun meme you like to share on Facebook, but here's my point. Do not be afraid doesn't need to be found 365 times for you to remember the truth. Because the Bible says it 70 times. And that's a heck of a lot. Right? It's a lot of times for God to say, do not be afraid. I love 1 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. He did not make us timid, but gives us power, love, self-discipline. 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And God says to Joshua as he stands on the border of Canaan, he says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors. Fear is not in our DNA, folks. Do not let fear cause you to rebel against God. God created you to be strong and courageous. And one final thought. Let's talk about trust issues. The Israelites had trust issues. Ultimately, trust was a major factor in the Israelites' rebellion. Verse 32 says that in spite of all the miracles the Israelites saw, and they saw a lot, right? They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw water flow from a rock. They gobbled up manna that fell from heaven every day. They saw all kinds of miracles. And still the Israelites refuse to trust God. And before we get, before we're a little too hard on the Israelites, can we remember that they had trust issues all the way back to their days in Egypt? Pharaoh destroyed their lives by making them slaves. He gave them daily quotas. When they met the quota, he made their jobs harder. Pharaoh murdered their children. So maybe Israel struggled to trust God because no one in leadership has ever treated them well. You know, trust is one of those issues that is just kind of core to our sinful nature. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent uses trust to manipulate Adam and Eve. You remember those words the serpent said? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And if you remember the story, Adam and Eve responded, yeah, he said that. 
They said, God said we can't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Yeah, yeah, God did actually say that. But listen to the craftiness of the serpent as he kind of switches things up and goes after their trust. He says, you will not surely die. For God knows that if you eat, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent tested the one rule God gave to Adam and Eve. And he did it by dismantling their trust that they can trust that God knows best. God gave Adam and Eve a world full of blessing, authority over everything, abundance. They had zero needs, they had zero trials, they had zero problems, and yet they still struggled to trust God. They ate the fruit because it looked delicious and could give them wisdom to be like God. Their rebellion came out of a lack of trust, just like Israel. Recognize your reason for a lack of trust in God. Do you struggle to trust God because bad leadership in your life? Do you struggle to trust God because you believe life would be better without him? My encouragement to you is to learn from the mistakes of the Israelites here. To trust God. Do not rebel. God is for you. Let's talk about the good news of the story. The good news found in this story is that you cannot rebel away the love of God. Notice the result of Israel's rebellion. That generation never got to experience true freedom in the land of Canaan. However, God never stopped loving them. Did God ever stop providing for them? No. The manna still fell. Did God ever stop keeping them safe in the wilderness? No. That cloud by day and the fire by night still showed up. They missed out on true blessing and true freedom. Adam and Eve missed out on true blessing and true freedom. But God never stopped loving them. God never stopped providing them. In fact, Adam and Eve got a brand new wardrobe out of it. He loved them. He provided for them. In fact, you cannot rebel away from the love of God. God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for your rebellion. And as we take communion this morning, I invite you to reflect on that sacrifice. Do not misunderstand your circumstances. Do not fear. Do not misplace your trust. We have three communion stations set up this morning. I invite you to go to one of the three stations as Carrie and Char share this next song, No Longer Slaves. Take the cups, go back to your seat, and reflect. And I'm going to ask Jim to come up and 
share with, us a, share with us a few thoughts, and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Father, as I think about the Israelites this morning, I can honestly say that I see myself there as well. Wondering if I can trust you, fearing that I can get through this hardship. Misunderstanding circumstances ahead of me. But this reminder, Lord, that you do love, that you do provide. This reminder, Lord, that uh, you sent your only son to die on the cross grants me the encouragement and the strength persevere. Fathers, we take these emblems, we do so by in hearts of praise and hearts of gratitude. I pray that you will bless our community. You'll shower down your grace and your love for us to feel and experience and to know. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.